Okay, guys, the title of the message today is called In Light of the Resurrection. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But before you turn there, turn to Luke chapter 24. You know, we're going through the book of Luke right now. We're still at the beginning, but I want to read part of Luke's account of really what we just read in Matthew and just kind of work our way up to where we're at in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. So Luke chapter 24, we're just going to read verses 1 through 12 here in Luke's account. Luke says this, verse, chapter 24, verse 1, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. Just a real Luke's account of the resurrection. But you can see, you can see uh, even in that last verse there, that just from that empty tomb we see Peter marveling. And, um, and we're not going to read the rest of the chapter, but if you go through verses 13 through 35, it's uh, the disciples rode to Emmaus. When Christ revealed Himself to them, remember through the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, and then verses... 36 through 43, he's, uh, he continues to reveal himself to the disciples. And I want to look at the end of that chapter, verses 44 through 49. Jesus says, now he, now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Verse 49, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so obviously... The verses following that is, is his ascension up into heaven. And then 50 days after his resurrection, 10 days after his ascension, is what we know as Pentecost, which that's what he was referring to in verse 49, when they would be clothed with power. Now turn to Acts chapter 2 real quickly, guys. We're going to see a little bit on that day. We're going to see a... Acts... Acts 2, verses 22-24. So this was the fulfillment of that when, when they were clothed with power. And Acts 2, 
Let me get to the right chapter here. Acts 2, verses 22-24. through 24. We just get a little, a little shot of Peter's sermon here. And again, this is the same Peter that denied him, right? Three times, cowardly denied him. And we see the difference here. The difference because of the resurrection. The difference because of the eyewitness account. And the difference because of the Holy Spirit. I love these verses here. In verses 22-24 through 24 in Acts chapter 2. Paul or uh, Peter speaking to those leaders of Israel. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Think of the boldness, guys. <laughs> Think of who he's preaching to. He's preaching to the people who had him crucified. In verse 24, But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. I almost went with that verse for today. One of these years I will. <laughs> But verse 24, that really that's what we're here remembering today, that God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So, beloved, if you're a Christian in here today, you have experienced this reality of his resurrection personally, not just intellectually, but you have experienced the power of His resurrection. The same Spirit that indwells you is the same Spirit that raised Him from the dead. Because He has risen and because He ascended, we received the, the promise that He referred to, the promised comforter that would come. We have received Him. We have received the new birth that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament and the New. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, now I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And we're just going to look at verse 58 today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is really the longest chapter in the Bible on specifically the resurrection. Resurrection as a, as a, as a topic. And so Paul's argument in this chapter is, is simply this. If Christ is not raised, then we won't be either. Guys, the resurrection is everything. The resurrection is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. If Christ is not raised, then we have no hope. We won't be raised either. Our preaching is useless. Right? Our preaching is in vain. Why go out and preach? If there's not a, if there's not a Savior who's defeated death, what message are we preaching? Not only our preaching, but our actual faith is in vain. In verse 20, in, in chapter 15, he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who were asleep. You know, he, the day He uh, rose again was at the Feast of the Firstfruits. That's why that, that's why that language is used, guys. He's the firstfruits. We're going to rise. We're going to receive a resurrected body just like Christ. And so that's our, that's our whole faith is centered upon this resurrection. That's why you've heard me say many times, Shiloh has, Shiloh has repeated this, Beloved, when we are preaching the gospel, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, do not forget the resurrection. Can you imagine the apostles saying, hey, Jesus died on the cross. They would have said, yeah, we know. We put Him there. No, the message was, He is risen. 
Death has been swallowed up in victory. So it is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. Paul preaches the resurrection with certainty. Okay, We don't preach for the resurrection. We don't try to prove the resurrection. We preach from it. We declare it. That it is a historical event. That there's new life in Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 55, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Paul says, O death, he's quoting the Old Testament, he says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? That very thing that Job says is the king of all terrors. Death is the king of terrors. It terrorizes people. Do you know the world is enslaved to the fear of death? But what do we have right here? Paul is taunting death. Amen, Rocky? He is taunting death because he knew the one who had conquered death. He has seen the risen Christ. He witnessed Him. He was a witness of Him. And He has been redeemed by Him. This is good news, beloved. This is good news that we're here to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in verse 58, our verse that we're looking at, that very first word, therefore. Obviously, we're not going through the whole chapter, but this whole chapter is centered on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ is not risen, let's pack up and go home. Okay? Let's go home and watch the Masters or whatever sporting event's on. But He is risen. And so in light of this, in light of the resurrection, the title of our message, that's really what that word therefore means. In light, in light of what I told you, in light of the reality of the resurrection, in light of, the, in light of this good news, right? Just the fact that He died on the cross is not good news. The good news is that He rose again. Demonstrating that the Father was well pleased with the sacrifice. So this good news. Therefore, in light of this good news of the resurrection, Paul is saying to his readers, and I am saying to you guys, and to myself, this is how I want you to live. In light of this, in light of this magnificent truth, this is how I want you to live. And that's what Paul did much in his writings. He had doctrine and then duty, right? Doctrine and then duty. Here's these mighty truths from the Scriptures. Now, live like this. So that's what we have here in this one verse. Charles Spurgeon said, let us never think that we have learned a doctrine until we have seen its fruit in our lives. Isn't that beautiful? Don't think you've ever learned a doctrine until you've seen fruit, its fruit in our lives. So, so what is he saying there, beloved? I believe what Spurgeon is simply saying that we truly haven't learned a doctrine just because we might intellectually know it. Just because we might be able to win an argument about a certain doctrine. No. It's what the Puritans referred to as this experiential knowledge. Do you know of the resurrection of Christ experientially? Has Christ transformed your life? Right? That's the whole, that's the whole point of believer's baptism. The, the picture of it. That we have been buried with Christ. But we didn't stay there. Our old man was buried, but we were raised again to walk in newness of life. And it's all because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today, through this verse, through this one text of Scripture, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, let's see what kind of fruit should be in our lives as a result of the resurrection. Okay? So if you have your, if you have your uh, bulletin on the back, <laughs> there's an outline. Three points, very, very simple. Stand firm, stay busy, have a settled hope. Didn't, didn't take a whole lot of ink on the printer today. So the first one is stand firm. 
Stand firm in light of the resurrection, beloved. So all this is in light of the resurrection, okay? In light of the resurrection. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren. I want to say something real quickly. Just it's not it's not even really having anything to do with the sermon, but if you know much about the these this letter to Corinth, really both letters, and really another letter that was uh, not even included in the canon. Corinth had a lot of issues, the church at Corinth. And it's so beautiful. Paul, Paul did much rebuking in this letter, but it's so beautiful that he still says, my beloved brethren, my beloved brethren. Folks, none of us are fully sanctified in this life. And so we're, we're, we're pressing towards the goal. But let's move on. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, to our first point, be steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast, immovable. So in light of the resurrection... He calls us to be steadfast and immovable, or stand firm. Stand firm. The word steadfast, it just simply means being seated. Okay? Being seated. Being, being settled. Being firmly situated. There's that word. Firmly situated. Being unchangeable, not erratic, right? Not up and down, up and down. But being settled. And, and what's it being settled in? It's, it's, in other words, it's, it's not being moved from what? From God's will. It's not being moved from God's will. You're settled in God's will. You're firmly situated. It's the language of Paul in Ephesians 4, verse 14. No longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's the idea. First of all, it's being steadfast in the Gospel. Okay? In sound doctrine. And in the Gospel. In, and even more specific, because of the context of this chapter, in the resurrection. Okay? Being steadfast of these things that Paul says at the first of this letter that are of first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and on the third day He rose again. These things that are of first importance. The tip of the spear that we talked about. That Brother Chuck reminded us of. The tip of the spear. Right? Be steadfast in the main thing. Beloved, these are the, these are the doctrines. That you stand firm. You stand firm and don't budge an inch. We don't give up any ground. And the gospel of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ. The deity of Christ. We stand firm. Beloved, you're going to be raised with a new body. Do you understand that? Because of the resurrection of Christ, you'll be raised and given a new body. Therefore, be strong. Be strong. Stand firm. This life is temporary. This life is temporary. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that this life is temporary? Do you live like it? We may say yes to the first one, but do we live like it? Do you live like Do you live in the reality that this life is temporary? Brother Rocky's feeding tube is temporary. Amen? It is temporary. And I joke around with him a lot about that. But it's not a joke. It's not a joke. Any of you guys who know Rocky, you know that Rocky loves... To see his family and to see his friends blessed and enjoying themselves, even over a good meal. 
And we've discussed, sometimes it's hard to eat a good meal in front of Rocky. But I always tell Rocky, Rocky, it's temporary. One day we're going to be feasting together. And that's true. It's a true statement. It's a temporary life, guys. It's a vapor. And I know Rocky knows that. But beloved, be steadfast not only in doctrine, but in your character. Can I encourage you to be steadfast in your character, in your holy living? Okay? In your Christian character? Be steadfast. Don't budge. Stand firm. Don't compromise your convictions. In other words, in light of the resurrection, you and I are not to, we are not to waver. We are not to compromise either, either in our doctrine or either in our life, our character. Beloved, don't grow weary in doing good. Okay, don't grow weary in doing good. Your labor for Him, as we'll see, it's not in vain. Don't grow weary in your labor for Him. So, beloved, do you have spiritual goals? Do you think about your life? Do you have spiritual goals in your life? That, that you know, Goals that you have for the Lord, the way you want to serve the Lord? Beloved, you can't stop. You can't stop and you can't go backwards. You're, you're either moving forward or you're moving back. Okay? I mean, it's like a road trip. If you're on a road trip, the only way to get there and to get there on time is to keep going. Keep going. The more times you stop, you're going to be late. And that much late, and that much more late. You've got to keep going. So he says be steadfast. He also says be immovable. And really the word is exactly the same, except immovable is just stronger. The idea is exactly the same, it's just more intense. It means totally immobile. In other words, you are not going to be moved by temptations of this world. You're not going to be moved by temptations to compromise with the truth of the Word of God. No matter who all's doing it, no matter how, even, even the, the, the Christian church, as we, as we look abroad, with big crowds, we are not going to compromise with the Word of God. We're going to stand on sound doctrine, we're going to stand on the Gospel, and we're not going to be moved. We're not going to be moved by the temptations of the world. We're not going to be moved by the love of the world. I mean, what did John say? Don't love this world or the things in this world. This world is passing away. But we stand. We, we are immovable. We're not moved by these things. We're not moved by discouragement. Does anybody else ever get discouraged? I do. But every time we get discouraged, we can't just throw in the towel. No, we have to stand firm and keep pressing forward. We're not moved by persecution. Insult. Any of these type of things. We stand firm in all of this. Beloved, what is there to be afraid of? Do you have fear in your life? Are you afraid? Are you worried? What is there truly to be afraid of? What is there to fear? What does this world have to offer you? That Christ has not given you freely. It's passing away, this world, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, Paul says, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Obviously, this is in the putting on the whole armor of God. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Listen to what John MacArthur says about that verse. 
Roman soldiers wore boots with nails in them to grip the ground in combat. Any of you guys, have you ever played baseball with metal, metal cleats or, or ran track with metal spikes? You can kind of get the idea. The traction you can get. Okay, You're not going to be sliding around. He says the gospel of peace pertains to the good news that through Christ, believers are at peace with God and He is on their side. It is that confidence of divine support which allows the believer to stand firm. That's the whole idea. That's what Paul's calling us to, to stand firm. And MacArthur says, knowing that since he is at peace with God, God is his strength. Beloved, you can stand firm. You can stand firm no matter what the world or no matter what anybody throws at you. You can stand firm against all of these things of the world, against the discouragements, against anything that the enemy throws at you. You can stand firm because you're at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Because He has conquered the grave. Because of the gospel of peace, we can stand firm because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stand firm. Secondly, in light of the resurrection, stay busy. Stay busy. Now, can I say that not all business is good, okay? I don't mean busy just to be busy. You can run around being busy doing a lot of things and not being busy for the Lord, okay? So it's not just being busy. But he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. The word abounding, it just means exceeding the requirement. Overflowing or overdoing. Okay, going above and beyond. Really is the idea. Listen to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Okay? He uses the same word in the Greek here, although it's not the same in the English. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. That's the same word in the Greek. Abounding in this text. But this grace that God lavished upon us. You know what that's saying? God overdid it for us. He went above and beyond for us, guys. And why is that so significant? What do you and I deserve from God? Nothing good. Only damnation. That's what we deserve from God because of our sin against God. And yet He went, He lavished this love and this grace upon us. And how can we not respond to His lavish love but by abounding in the work of the Lord? That's the point. He abounded in His love for us. So we should abound in our love for Him. The One who deserves all worship, right? Jesus Christ deserves all worship from all of His creation. The Creator of the world who came to this earth and suffered at the hands of godless men that we just read about and gave His life voluntarily as a ransom so that your salvation could be purchased. Guys, He deserves all worship. Worthy is the Lamb, remember in Revelation 5? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power 
and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We will be singing that to Him with all the angels. He is worthy of our worship. We should serve the Lord, in other words, with all diligence. Not just serving, but serving with all diligence. Not that we can ever even attain it. But what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. To let that be our all-consuming passion for who He is and what He has done. Has He saved you? Has He rescued you? Has He delivered you? Then love Him in return. Is He worthy of your lavish love and obedience? To answer that question, is He worthy of your lavish love and obedience? Is He worthy of you going above and beyond? What about your time? Is He worthy of your time? Or is your time your time? What about all the talents He's given you? We've all received different talents. Some of you more. Some of us less. Our talents, our gifts, some spiritual gifts, some natural talents. But it's all from the Lord. Do you abound in the work of the Lord through these different areas? Your time, your talents, your gifts? What did Jesus say? If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Not to be saved, but out of an expression of I just love the One who died for Me. Your abilities? Do you lavish love and obedience to Him and your abilities? What about the minds God's given you? What about your money? All of these areas of life, we could, we could write a whole list. Basically, our, our entire life, we could look at and say, do I demonstrate in my life that I truly love Him? That I'm truly pursuing Him? That I'm truly seeking first His kingdom? It's out of love. Beloved, always be abounding. Always be abounding. The Christian life is an abundant life. You understand that? It's an abundant life. What does that mean? It's not boring. The Christian life should not be boring. Do you, do you, do you labor in prayer for the lost? Do you discipline yourself? You see, when we're praying for the lost and our life is not consumed with ourselves, it's not a boring life. It's an abundant life. Do you seek to reach the lost through proclaiming the message of the Gospel? The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Do you seek to, be, to go out of your way to encourage others? To encourage your brothers and sisters? To invest, your, again, your time, your talent, your treasures in loving Christ by loving His people? Is your life consumed with Christ? Really, is the, that's, what it, that's, that's the question. Is our life consumed with Christ? The risen Christ who defeated death for you. You realize, guys, if He had not defeated death, if He had not raised from the dead, raised from the dead, right? Victorious over death, we would be hopeless. We would have no hope. All we, ha- we would have to look forward to and it would be dread is, is judgment. But He has defeated death. All of this is in response to what He has done for us. Beloved, you don't have to fear death. 
a gift that is. We don't have to fear death. Beloved, that's a freedom that the world does not have. Do you understand that? Most people are in fear of death. They might not admit it, but they're doing everything they can to delay that day. And obviously that's fine. We're not like looking to go out and get rain over today or, or just eat so many McDonald's hamburgers that our heart explodes. So I'm not saying that, but we don't have to fear death. We can say, my Redeemer lives. He conquered death. We can, we can taunt death like Paul. Not out of anything in us, but I know Christ. You don't have to fear death, beloved. What are you living for? You can abound in the work of the Lord. Beloved, this is, this is the beauty of it, okay? Point number two is stay busy. You can abound in the work of the Lord and at the same time, Christ gives you rest. He gives you rest. Really, it's, it's not business in vain. It's not vain business. It's not empty business. Right? What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4.16? Our outer man is decaying. Right? Our outer man is decaying. It is decaying. That's a fact. We're used cars. But our inner man is being renewed day by day. So even as you stay busy for the Lord, maybe your physical body does get tired. It is wearing out. But at the same time, Christ gives you rest for your souls. So do not lose heart, beloved. Do not lose heart. Stand firm, stay busy, and, and, and last, third point is have a settled hope. Have a settled hope. A settled hope. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be movable, stand firm, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Beloved, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that what you do for the Lord is in vain? Just be honest. There's sometimes I do. I know doctrinally that that's not true, but I feel like it. Don't, don't go by your feelings. Let's go by the Word of God. Okay? My wife and I had a really good talk this morning reminding each other of that truth. It's like we weren't even talking about the sermon, but this just came up. That we need to be encouraged. No matter what kind of results you're seeing on the surface, God says that our work for Him, when we are laboring for Him, it's not in vain. And so you must... You must you want to name it and claim it. Claim that one by faith. Claim that promise by faith, regardless of how you feel. And be faithful. So have a settled hope, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing. Why, why should we know that? In this context, Paul's saying, because of what I've said. Because of what the Scriptures testifies of His resurrection. The, the Apostles' eyewitness account. I, I saw Him on the road to Damascus. The 500 brethren have seen Him. Our new life in Christ testifies of the resurrection of Christ. Knowing these things, these things are not in vain. It's only possible because of the resurrection. Beloved, putting, putting work into something good, okay, generally speaking, is not in vain. I'm talking about just practically. Just things in our life. Friendships. Okay, if you invest in friendships, it's not in vain. If you want friends, be a friend, right? You have to invest. If you want to be healthy, you must exercise, eat healthy. That stuff's not in vain. 
If you want to pass the test, you need to study. It's not in vain. Just practical things. This is a principle in life. Sowing and reaping. How much more your toil in the Lord? All of your labor. That word toil it just means labor and trouble. How much more your, all of your labor and your trouble for Him, for Christ? It's not in vain. It's, none of it's in vain. All of your service. All of your sufferings in this life. Beloved, did you know we are the means? Right? God has preordained the end from the beginning, but He has preordained the means. You and I are the means for God accomplishing His purposes in this world. So, so when you are investing in Christ, and you're abounding in the work of the Lord and you're experiencing sufferings along the way for your labor in the Lord. God is accomplishing the salvation and the edification and the sanctification of His dear people. It's through your labors. It's through our labors. It's not in vain. Beloved, there's joy even here in this life. Our labor's not in vain. Is it not a joy to serve the Lord? I'm not talking about you're always giddy with a fake smile. I'm talking about deep joy. I'm knowing I'm just serving God. I'm serving the King. Because I know He sees all things. Like we've been discussing on Wednesday night. His judgment is righteous. That's comforting for the believer. It's this abundant life, beloved. This abundant life. To live is what? Christ. To live as Christ. That's what Paul meant. To live as Christ. It's not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because it's it's not for a dead man, but for our living king. That's why it's not in vain. That's really what Paul's saying. <laughs> your toil is not in vain because of eternal hope that's yours in Christ. Right? To live as Christ, to die as gain. It's even better. This life, beloved, your service to the Lord is not in vain. Ultimately, because of this hope that you have in Christ. This settled hope. How about this for hope, guys? You want hope today? I'll give you hope. Well, Christ will give you hope. Revelation 1.18 Do not be afraid. Again, are you guys afraid of anything? Are you afraid? Are you ever fearful? I don't say that to, for you to be ashamed of you are, but to comfort you with the truth. If you have fears, Jesus says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death. Not just death, but of Hades. Oh, what a comforting verse, beloved. you know what that means? If you're in Christ today, do you know what that means? That means you conquer the second death. You have victory over the second death. Even the lake of fire does not have victory over the believer. That's what he's saying. 
Through our identification with Christ, we are in Christ. Brother, if that's not hope, check your, check your hope radar. If you cannot find hope from that, amidst all the problems that we all have in this world, we do. We go through it. But ultimately, we had a settled hope. And that hope is Christ. Beloved, your, your toil is not in vain in the Lord. But guess what the devil says? No, it is in vain. That whisper you hear. That's a lie. Anytime you hear that, that's a lie. Anytime you hear that from another person who claims to be a Christian, that's a lie. Maybe they're not saying it in that words, but oh, you're wasting your time. What are you doing out here preaching the gospel? Well, I'm obeying my Lord. It's not in vain. Whatever it is you're doing. Whatever God has called you to do. God hasn't called you to do necessarily the same thing He's called me to do. But He's called us all to labor for Him. To abound in the work of the Lord. And when you do, it's not in vain. Beloved, none of it is in vain. Can I tell you that I'm preaching to myself? My wife and I have been through a lot. Can I just share my heart with you just for a moment? We've been through a lot. We were discussing. And it really hit this very thing that sometimes we feel like that everything we've done, a lot of it's been in vain. We've had our, some of our own kids kick us right in the mouth. We invest our life in them. Invest the Gospel in them. But it's not in vain. It's not in vain, beloved. Sometimes when you've when you got your hand to the plow and you're trying to reach the lost by simply preaching the Gospel and by bathing it in prayer and you're not seeing the results that you want to see, it's not in vain, beloved. When you see your loved ones that are not responding the way you want them to respond to the Gospel, it's not in vain. Keep plowing. Keep putting your hand to the plow and do not look back. Keep pressing forward. Please don't take this the wrong way. Okay? This is not meant to be directed towards anybody. It's just the struggles I deal with this verse. Preparing for hours and hours and hours and hours and meeting and just wondering what is this all about? We're, we're, I'm trying. I'm toiling. Do, do, the, do the people really... Are they, are they benefiting from it? Why is our church not growing? It's not in vain, beloved. This verse, I'm preaching to me first of all, okay? It's not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Our labor as a church is not in vain. If you have any other suggestions other than to preach the Word of God faithfully, teach your people the Word of God, pray individually, pray corporately, and go preach the Gospel to the lost, I'd like to know. Because that's what I see in the Scriptures. It's not in vain. Be faithful to the Lord in your own life. Be faithful to the Lord as a church. And our labor is not in vain. It is not in vain, beloved. Beloved, this is my life. This is, this is the life that I have been called to. Christ's likeness in my life and to see Christ formed in you. 
That's, that's what I desire, beloved. Not that I'm doing it perfectly, but beloved, I'm not living for this world. And I would just appeal to you to follow me as I follow Christ. As I follow Christ. Our labor is not in vain. Let's follow after Christ. That's the point I'm trying to make. Let's follow after Christ. What are you laboring for in this life? What are you investing in? We can all ask that individually. What am I investing in? When I look at my life, what does my time, my talents, my treasure say that I'm investing in, guys? We get one life to live. And we have a king that has defeated death, hell, and the grave, guys. And let's give it our all. And at the same time, we know that we have peace with God. He's given us rest for our souls. So thank you for letting me share my heart with you guys. Our labor is not in vain. Okay? Our labor is not in vain. So beloved, His resurrection, it is our great hope. Peter could not have said it any more clearly than 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's our living hope. That is our settled hope. His resurrection from the dead. He says, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You guys ever lost a reservation? There's one who will not lose a reservation. He has reserved it in heaven for you. Ultimately, what that inheritance is, it's Christ Himself. It's God Himself. And all the blessings that go with it. Beloved, let our hope not be in the things of this world. Let our hope not be. I would appeal to you today, okay, to follow me as I follow Christ. Not perfectly, but as I follow Christ, I can say that my hope is not in my family. That's not where my hope's at. My hope is not in my wife. My hope is not in my kids. My hope is not in money. My hope is not in success. My hope is not in pleasure or comfort. My hope is not in this church. My hope is in one thing, and that's Christ. Let that be your hope today. And so, beloved, this hope, this hope that Peter's referring to, it's not hope that is merely uncertainty or wishful thinking. Wishful thinking, I hope my team wins. It's not that kind of hope. I hope I can somehow make it to heaven. No! This hope is a confident expectation of future blessings based on not wishful thinking, but on facts and promises from a God who cannot and will not lie to you. That's what our hope is built upon. Beloved, it's a settled hope. Your toil is not in vain when your toil is in the Lord. Now, if it's not in the Lord, it may be in vain. If your toil is in the Lord, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. The Lord sees, in other words, beloved. God sees everything you do. Okay? He, he, he sees every tear you shed. He knows, your, he knows your, your hard times. He knows your weakness. He knows your but does. And He loves you. You're His beloved in Christ. So don't worry about who else sees. 
Don't worry about what anybody else says. You just keep your eyes on the Lord and remember that He sees. Don't forget this promise in Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward His name and having ministered and still ministering to the saints. you hear that? God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget what you do in His name. God doesn't forget what you do to His people. Matthew 25, the judgment, the sheep and the goats reveal that. He doesn't forget a thing. So take that to heart, beloved. The Lord sees and doesn't forget your labor and in Him is not in vain. In closing, a quote by Albert Barnes. Albert Barnes was a um, theologian at Princeton University back many, many years ago in the 1800s. He says this, Other men are influenced and excited to great efforts by the hope of honor, pleasure, or wealth. Read that again. Other men, he's, he's speaking about the world, other men are influenced and excited to great efforts, right? I mean, they're abounding in their work by the hope of honor, pleasure, or wealth. Christians should be excited to toil and self-denial by the prospect of immortal glory and by the assurance that their hopes are not in vain and will not deceive them. That's a powerful and a true statement. So if you're here today and your hope is in anything else than Christ, if your hope is in anything else other than Christ, you are deceived. I mean, I'm talking about your ultimate hope. What you pin your hopes on. If it's in anything other than Christ, it's shaky ground. It's sand that will not endure the judgment. You are deceived. Could I plead with you? As an ambassador of Christ, God making His appeal through me, I beg you, don't hope in the things of this world. Don't hope in the promises that people make you. Don't hope in relationships as your ultimate hope. Acceptance of this world. The pleasures of this world. The honor from others. The wealth of this world. Money, whatever it is. Pleasure. It's only temporal. Okay, All of these things are temporal. They will end and they will let you down. Don't hope in yourself. Oh, don't hope in yourself. Don't hope in your own righteousness. Don't hope in, in your religiosity. Brother, there's none righteous. None of us. That's why He came. Don't hope in any of these things. They will let you down. Paul says in Romans 10.11, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. All these other things will end in disappointment. Eternal disappointment. Even disappointment in this life. Beloved, your family may forsake you. Friends may forsake you. But Jesus said, He will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He is the one you can trust. Turn to Christ and hope in Him. Hope in His death for your sins and His mighty resurrection. And do it today. Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Jesus says, and I'll, and I'll finish with this, in John 11, 25 and 26, speaking to Martha, 
when He raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if He dies. And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. But then He says, do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the resurrection of Your dear Son. We thank You for all that entails, Lord. God, we now have victory over this very thing, death, because of Your resurrection. Father, we thank You, Lord, that that through faith in Your Son, we are now identified with Him. We are in Christ. Our old man was crucified with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And because He lives, we will live. Oh, Lord, we love You. We praise You. Magnify Your holy name, God. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.